Alice, do you know where I could get my mom a Danish whisk for Christmas? Because that is what she's asked for. She does not need a Danish whisk. So that is my she, answer. She, <laughs> she wants have, one, though. She, she can she have wants... a Danish... Your mother... You can use this for the lead-in. Andrew, your mother can have a Danish whisk when the pandemic is over. I want you to go to Clever Clover and get her a terrarium. <laughs> I want you to go to Sundance and get her a beautiful, simple piece of jewelry. And... Let's see, where else do I want you to go? Go to SBS and get her uh, office supplies or art supplies. I love SBS for art supplies. Well, SBS actually. Welcome to episode seven of the East Lansing Insider. It's Wednesday, December 2nd at about 11 a.m. And I'm here. I'm Andrew Graham. I'm here with Alice Drager and Emily Joan Elliott. Uh, Emily, how are you doing? Good. I want to give a happy birthday shout out to my dad, who's also an Eli donor as of last week. Woo-hoo. Well, well, happy birthday. Alice, how are you doing? I'm tired. We're going to talk about that today, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is basically the we're tired and are going to kvetch podcast, but in a in a intelligent and thought out way. Um, it's basically been a crazy, what are we at now? 60, 72 hours, um, something like that for us. Basically, it started on, well, actually, I think Alice, to, re- to really restart where, we, where we're at right now, we need to start on Friday afternoon when I checked the agenda page and there were meetings listed for Monday for the Brownfield Redevelopment Authority and Downtown Development Authority for Monday with no agendas posted. And we just both immediately were like, it's the Center City District bond. Oh my God. And basically have been halfway in that state of mind since. Yeah, I, we knew, you know, that it was probably going to be refinanced and it was coming, but to, to face a couple of meetings with no agenda and to know nothing about what was about to happen at a governmental meeting that was so important was um, a problem from the point of view of the service we bring to the community. So you and I on Friday night had to start making a lot of calls and emails and stuff and try to figure out what's going on. The answer was we figured out that it wasn't really happening, that there were no such meetings, that they'd been scheduled probably months ago in anticipation of the disaster that was set to happen on December 1st of the BRA owing $3.7 million and only having $1.3 million in the bank. So it must have been scheduled back months ago. Anyway, so, but then we found out, when was it, Monday, that... um, the bonds. Monday afternoon. Yeah, they, they were planning to sign refinance bonds the next day, and we were given the draft letter from the financial advisors, so we were able to do some analysis of that and bring that. Uh, but yeah, it was a wild ride. And over the weekend, of course, on top of that, we're working on fundraising because it's Eli's sustainability campaign. And yesterday was Giving Tuesday. And so Emily and Jody and I were working on a massive mailing out to people, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's basically been no rest, but the bond thing is especially important. And it's especially challenging, I have to say, because of two things. One is that we have to translate complex financial things into English so that people can follow it. But the second reason it's difficult, and I'm just going to be frank here, is it's emotionally difficult. It's emotionally difficult because as Andrew calls East Lansing, it's the city of well-intentioned people. And I think he's right. And watching good people kind of stumble their way through 
$120 million development deal, bonds of $25 to $29 million, um, mistakes being made <clears throat> for years. It's it's painful when you have to report this stuff and people get angry. And sometimes I honestly think to myself, <laughs> you could probably hear in my voice, I'm sort of breaking up here in terms of my emotions. You know, sometimes I wonder to myself, what the hell have I done to this poor city by creating a newspaper that causes people to know things they would otherwise be oblivious about? They would pay their taxes and have no idea what's really going on. And when you bring the news, you necessarily tell people about things going wrong. And a lot of times the things going wrong are not about evilness or stupidity. It's just about well-intentioned stuff that goes wrong. And so it's, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And then... We find so we find out Monday afternoon that the bonds are potentially going to be refinanced. Basically, what we found out on Monday afternoon was that PFM, the city, the BRA's hired municipal advisor, was advising them to refinance with Scottsdale Capital, which is the developer's dad, basically, okay. and the holder of the originals bonds, classically. So we got that, and we pushed that story out Monday night. That's all well and done. And then <laughs> it's it's literally given me tuberculosis. Uh, and then on Tuesday, so we get up, that story's out. We're waiting for counsel. And we find out on Tuesday that Michigan State University in 2022 will now begin requiring sec first and second year students to live on campus, which is a big change from the current policy, which has been first year students and so then we on giving tuesday in the middle of our fundraising broke that story out so just in the first two days of this week we've had two big ones come our way that we were not entirely planning on having come our way right and we had lots uh, of other stuff on our schedule and you yeah. know so i do want to also explain that the way that we got that story was that um, a group of landlords were invited to a meeting with um, the heads of msu who handle housing stuff and community stuff and they were being informed about this and one of the landlords we, we have i think 12 sets of landlords who are donors to eli i think almost every major landlord endowed because they believe more news is better in everybody's interest but in any case one of them called me and told me about what had happened so i checked with msu and they basically confirmed the basic story but they didn't say a lot more and so when we brought the story forward you know we're trying to do the quick math on how many students that is. It's hard to say though, because MSU didn't really present to us the math. So now MSU, we've asked MSU to give us the math. They say it's not as big an effect as we think it is. Uh, but I want to see the numbers. I know Andrew, you want to see the numbers. Um, and so we've pressed them and hopefully we'll get the numbers soon about what they're exactly talking about. They are of course talking about something significant, not just economically for the city of East Lansing, because for every student that lives on campus who otherwise would have lived off campus, that's a loss to the economy of East Lansing in terms of the rental. It's also a loss in terms of food services. It's also just a general loss of people who might be walking around downtown because they live here and spending money. Um, and there's taxes that come off all of that. So there's taxes that come from the properties, there's taxes that come from the income. When it moves to um, MSU, just to state the obvious, there's no property taxes paid and there's no income tax paid on the money that the students are paying into the dorm system. So that matters. But on the other hand, it could also have what I think many people would experience as a positive impact in terms of um, the belief that graduation rates will go up and um, 
staying in school will go up, but also self-harming and other harming behaviors will go down among sophomores who are living on campus. That could in turn have a positive effect in terms of the day-to-day life in East Lansing, especially in the neighborhoods like mine, where you live with students. But, you know, a lot, it's a lot of unknowns and I, we want to see the numbers and we don't have the numbers yet. So that's been another um, high stress story in terms of trying to bring it, but not having all the information. And one of the things, you know, we do at Eli is we hold back on information necessarily and then bring it as we um, know more. And often we, we hold stories until we know enough to really bring a comprehensive story so that we're not wasting readers' times. But sometimes we have to bring a story forward in order to get a source to talk to us. And with MSU, frankly, my experience is exactly that. We cannot sit around and wait for them to give us all the details because they won't. But once we publish, they'll come back at us and say, well, you don't understand because there's this and this and this. And then we can get information. That may not have happened in this case if we had paused, but my general feeling was let's bring it and then they'll give us the numbers. And that's what's probably going to happen next is bringing us the numbers. Um, you know, these are nice folks we're dealing with at MSU. It's the same as dealing with the city. Nice folks, but like give us the freaking numbers. <laughs> you know, our job is to poke you yeah. and poke you and poke you until you give us the numbers. That is our job yeah. in the community. I, I try to make it clear with people that I never really ever have a beef with them. It's always usually they're not giving me information I want. <laughs> it's Absolutely. like, you're fine. It's just like you not doing this thing right now. Um, I, and I just other news to sort of put all of that in context so all of that's happening and we're covering all of that and then emily yesterday attended linda vale's sort of weekly covid presser update and the 48823 zip code which is basically downtown east lansing not downtown it's all all of east lansing like everything but campus basically um has the highest case count and uh, death total, I believe, just in absolute numbers in Ingham County. Um, so COVID is pretty much as bad here as it's been at any point. Um, that's just the sort of the, the at this point, it's kind of crazy to call it that, but that's sort of the the background information of just like all of this is under the the knowledge that like COVID's getting very bad too. Yeah, it's, the it's picture <clears throat> was maybe a bit more nuanced so the deaths we knew every week there were x amount of deaths cumulatively in ingham county and i was not at the press conference the tuesday before thanksgiving so i don't know if this is the first time or the second time linda vale presented deaths by zip code east lansing had 26 but i don't know when all of those deaths occurred but of the I don't know what our death total is at, but it's well over 100 now. And I can look it up as we're talking for the county, for the county. For the county. that was, we have 119 deaths, all of them, but 40 have come after September 1st. Um, we have 26 in the 48823. Uh, it does. We're looking into how what the population is of each zip code to see how we stack up in terms of population density as well. Although Linda did seem somewhat optimistic that numbers were coming down, um, perhaps not as significantly as we'd like, because I know Lansing State Journal reported yesterday that I think Sparrow's at 82 or 84% capacity and McLaren was somewhere in the 90s uh, for capacity. So we want numbers to come down. But even if our case count comes down 
hospitalizations and deaths are a lagging indicator as well. So we still might expect those to go up for a while. Um, and that is a story that we haven't put out yet, but we also had, in addition to the two breaking news stories, we had the other lead stories that we published in the morning, Monday and Tuesday. We had Jack Timothy Harrison, a new reporter for Eli. He reached out to us with an article he wrote about student furloughs and what that meant for the students and their employment opportunities and looking for opportunities off campus. And that was a really strong Monday morning lead story for us. And then yesterday morning, we had our Giving Tuesday article as well, because we had other stories, but we wanted the bonds to be there for our readers if they didn't read it Monday night to see it Tuesday morning. And it was Giving Tuesday, um, which I'm sure Alice and I have a lot to say about the behind the scenes work we've been doing in the last few days as well. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, going well. Yeah, I guess well, if you guys want to talk about that, go ahead. We do need more people to step up. Um, EastLansingInfo.news slash donate is the place to go. You know, the money's coming in sort of steadily, but I will, again, be frank. Um, we have in the past had a lot of support from people who have local businesses in East Lansing, and they simply can't afford to give to us this year. They have so much uncertainty in their lives. These are restaurant owners. These are shop owners. These are folks who run bookstores, um, you know, textbook bookstores and more general bookstores. These are folks who, in some cases, run um, businesses that serve those businesses. So there are places that are like um, service firms that help those. And they have so much uncertainty right now that they cannot afford to make the commitment now that they normally would make. And I completely understand that. Um, in addition to that, we've had uh, some major donors either drop out of the system through um, passing away or through uh, moving. And so normally East Lansing's economy of news sort of refills itself naturally over the course of the year. And I'm out and about and our team is out and about and we're letting people know the service we do. The pandemic makes it very difficult for us to do that. So the reaching out is having to be done in a very different way. Um, I feel like we still have a good shot at our $200,000 goal. That's what it's going to cost to run Eli next year. And frankly, that is an incredibly inexpensive news operation. What the city gets for that money is astonishing. And everybody who comes across Eli, who does media work nationally, who sees what we do, says to me, how the hell do you do it on that little money? The answer is we don't get paid very much and we work really, really hard and we keep expenses super low. Eli has no office and we make sure that when we send out, Emily's learned this because she's new to the fundraising system. When we send out mailers, we use stamps that we buy that are discounted um, old stamps and we stick the stamps on. We spe- we only pay about 60 cents on the dollar for stamps. We do everything we can to save money in order to recognize that people feel they shouldn't have to pay for news. And the consequence of that is they don't pay for news. And so we have to keep expenses crazy low. But we're super grateful. I mean, every day I feel grateful to the people who are donating and they send the nicest notes, um, which we should share more because they're just beautiful notes about how much they appreciate the news, the investigative news in particular, the regular news of school board coverage that Emily brings us. They're just incredibly grateful. And that is as important to me personally as the money in terms of understanding that I feel like we're meeting that core service in this community. So if you want that service to keep coming, I mean, I'm not just saying that you have to give. So it's eastlansinginfo.news slash donate. 
Right. I I, I sort of go ahead, Emily. I was going to say, I think Alice with keeping costs low, I think something really important for our listeners to know is about 90% of our budget goes to paying people for the work they're committing work. They're doing for us. We're not wasting it on frivolous stuff. We're giving people the money that they earned for the work they're doing. I mean, we're, we're yeah. serious about cost savings. So, for example, we never order new envelopes until we have a special Vista print coupon that gets us 60% off, typically. Like, we we absolutely scrimp and save everything we possibly can. You might laugh to see some of the stuff we do to save money. But we get people to sometimes to donate us paper, and we print our own stationery so that we don't have to pay for the paper. I mean, we do everything we possibly can to save our donors the money. Because we know they want the money going to the news production. They don't want money going to other stuff. And that's what we're trying to spend the money on is news production. But it is 90% of the money you donate goes to local people to produce the news, to be exact. Right. And not having office space means Alice, Jody, and I driving around town, <laughs> swapping envelopes. Okay, I address them. You put the stamps on. Now you stuff them. So it's fun. It is. Maybe we can get a good deal. We can maybe get that office space in the MSUFCU building for cheap. You know, Since I, I actually, <laughs> I thought about that as they were talking about space. you're joking, but I was thinking about that. But like, thinking, what if we just had like a little, a little cubicle with some computers? Yeah, but then something. I was also thinking we can't really accept that because that would no. create a sort of significant conflict of interest for us. So, um, yeah, I just think about the sort of the, the 90% of the money going to the people is also like what Oz talks about is like, we work hard. We spend a lot of time on this stuff. Like I definitely work more hours than i'm probably supposed to work and that's probably true of alice and emily too um but i like i also i guess i think about it when i'm here today this morning recording this podcast tired and a little worn out from the onslaught of the past 48 hours it's a it's sort of that satisfied job well done tired where you can sit there and yeah i'm worn down but it's because i spent the last 48 hours really doing some some necessary work and that's because eli recognizes that the the real cost that you need to incur to do news is for the people to do it and when you can save it elsewhere of we don't print a paper because we don't need to we don't have an office because we don't really need one although there are advantages um of just really spending the money on people doing the news and I, I cannot emphasize enough how much that is really what your money will go to if you donate it to Eli yeah you know I mean you talked about uh, you know the exhaustion of a job well done I I did have to have some therapy this morning with some folks who've been working with <laughs> bomb story because I feel I, I mean I feel depressed that we didn't um, see attention to the six million dollar question um, as Emily and Andrew know, my, my husband, who works at MSU, he's the interim dean of the medical school, he, of course, ends up listening to my life, and I end up listening to his life. So I'm right now listening a lot to vaccination planning. But, you know, he was following the bond story. And one of the things he said to me, and I said, well, you should really tell counsel that and he did last night was that when that $6 million gets diverted from the tax system to pay the developers, that's not just $6 million that goes away from East Lansing. It goes away from CATA, from the public transportation system. It goes away from the library where people who are unemployed go to use free computers to find jobs. It goes away from uh, vocational training in the, at the county level. It, it, it defunds a bunch of systems that frankly help address 
disparities in class and race and gender. And this is a council that's talked a lot about trying to address systemic racism. So what my spouse got on and told council last night as public comment is, if you really care about systemic racism, then what you pay attention to is where the money's going. And in a case like this, the money is being diverted from those places to basically go to pay, as my husband said, white men who already have a lot of money. And so he, you know, brought that forward. And yet, you know, the $6 million is kind of not been of enough interest to this council or this BRA to pursue an independent legal opinion and chase that. And um, that's personally hard for me to watch because I kept feeling like, you know, more eyes might be better on this. And we were trying to bring some attention to it. We are supposed to be nonpartisan. We try to be nonpartisan. But when it comes to things like saving the taxpayers $6 million, I have trouble being nonpartisan. I feel strongly I should try to save the taxpayers money whenever I can, all other things being equal, so that there's more money for people to do more good work in the world. Um, I've always said if Eli's partisan, we're public partisan. We're that's citizen exactly partisan. right. I mean, we're, we're public interest. We, I will. I will draw a line. I will put my stake in the stand and I will dig in my heels to take a stand on spending money that doesn't need to be spent and stuff like that. You know, discussions about proper police reform. That's where we really try to maybe we we keep whatever it's we cover what we're covering. But with something like, you know, six million dollars potentially being spent that doesn't need to we're going to take a side that that shouldn't happen. And, and there is places that we did. I think we had a really positive effect. The original plan, the BRA was going to pay Mark Bell, the developer, another $50,000 for what, who knows? It was just thrown in there. Like somehow we need, we owe him personally more money, which was a remarkable thing. His uh, boat they, needed fixing or something. Yeah. They were going to pay Brian Leffler of Baird working for the other side, yet more money. They did end up paying uh, Bill Danhoff more money than he claimed he was going to charge us this time around. But I can point to stuff in there and show that I think we saved money for the city. But when I look at over the course of the last year, I can definitely pencil out on the back of an envelope, Eli having saved more money than it's costing this community in terms of tax dollars. We have had excellent reporting by Emily and Nathan on regard to things like spending on cars, um, stuff that's supposed to be for tracking uh, green fleet and GPS route reduction that have actually been used mostly to monitor city workers rather than really being used for the purpose it was set out to be. The kinds of reporting that we do, I'm convinced, um, make a difference in this city. And yet it is really hard for me to take it sometimes when I realize how upset our reporting sometimes makes people how it causes people to be accusatory in ways that feel really counterproductive and how useless I feel a lot of the time, how I throw myself at this and still feel like I'm not getting anywhere. So it's, but the company is excellent. I have to say the reason you should give money is because Emily and Andrew and Jody and Anne and Adon and Alex and Sam and everybody may said the company is excellent. <laughs> it's, it really, it, the team is incredible. Well, you know the Max Weber quote, politics is a strong and slow boring of hard boards. And that's a little bit, that's a little bit what Eli feels like some days of you're making progress just by making people think about it, even if what they think about it might not be what you had hoped or, or maybe not saying I'm trying to like have people think a certain way, but of bring just by bringing things to mind for people. Like I think of the, the center city district deal of, 
So maybe the $6 million wasn't saved, but I was talking with someone the other day of, I guess, my hope with this going forward is that people know about it. People saw it this time. We paid attention to it and that it can't happen again, at least would be my hope. Um, it's a weird world, right? It's just a, it's, yeah. and, and in a small town where everybody knows, well, everybody in action knows everybody else in action. Um, it's just, it's, it's rough. In some ways, the pandemic has made my life slightly easier because I'm not out where people are constantly stopping me and wanting to talk about what they just read or what they want to share. Um, but in other ways, you know, it's, it's hard because there's this disconnect that I think caused people to be maybe a little bit more cruel about everything than they would be if they were facing each other in person. I think you might be right about that. I wanted to ask you both just for more, a little more behind the scenes look of sort of what, what went into the giving Tuesday stuff and generally the direct mail campaign. Cause I know that's a very big thing that you guys have spent a ton of time working on. So I want to give you a chance to maybe talk about the amount of the amount of envelopes you've addressed and stamped. I think it's about 2000. I'm not sure exactly of the number. Jody would know the number, but um, yeah, it's been Emily, split up between Alice and I writing, Jody printing and stuffing. I think Alice and her family dividing up stamps so they come to 55 cents. <laughs> um, my favorite, I have to tell you, because we never know what's coming in the stamps. But my favorite combination so far has been an envelope that ended up with a stamp of Marilyn Monroe and Sojourner Truth. <laughs> That's... Plus a flag stamp to make up the difference. It was <laughs> oh, that's an envelope. <laughs> but yeah, we've had spreadsheets that are color coded and have notes like, don't go past this line. I've already addressed them. And last night it was really strange. I, the envelopes I had was exactly where the list ended. Because a lot of times we play musical envelopes. Like I don't have them and Alice does. So can you just fill out the last five or something? But it worked out perfectly. That's eerie. And last night, as I was listening to city council, I was doing stamping because Andrew was reporting on the uh, disorderly conduct stuff. So I was just listening in the background while I was stamping. The list we had last night came from somebody else's list that was given to us. And so it had people who have not been donors, but who could be potential donors. They're people identified as being active people in terms of um, community giving and in terms of political action and stuff. And so what did, what did, what was I stamping last night? I came across Mark Meadows. I was just going to say, can I mention that you were signing one for Bill Danhoff? And Bill Danhoff. <laughs> unbelievable. Like Which literally was, last was, night I paused and I was like, oh my God, here's a letter addressed I, to Bill Danhoff. I got a, hold on. I'm just going to, I get a text from Alice like <laughs> during council is like passed on like before like it was another one and then she goes I, I think i'm gonna send this one like i don't really care everyone's human and then she sends but this one question mark and it's just real dan off <laughs> so i did send it andrew pointed out to me that in one of dan Hoff's recent legal opinions he referred to me as a blogger and andrew was like well send it to him maybe it's his favorite blog so you know what i mailed it i stamped it and i mailed it and uh so one went out to um to Mark Meadows, one went out to Ruth Byer, who's my neighbor, one went out to Bill Danhoff. Um, there was one. Yeah. I think this I does thinking. underline a good point, though, that even though, I mean, and I think this is something that you see from bigger newspapers, and that, I mean, it's kind of hard to think of Eli in the same terms of, like, the Detroit Free Press, but people will be 
ticked at you, pissed off, angry, whatever, one day, and then if they're an elected official or somebody, they need you to be paying attention to what they're doing the next. And so I think for us, too, of like, yeah, we probably ticked a lot of people off with this bond thing, but we did it for the reasons we did it. And I don't think anyone's not clear about that. And my hope would be that when we come back tomorrow with the next story that everyone recognizes that, like, we're just doing our job and, like, isn't freezing us out, which isn't something I've experienced. Like, the East Lansing City Council members are almost always willing to answer questions and talk. Um, so like we, we do kvetch about this stuff and whatever, but I do know generally people have been good about not recognizing that it's, it's not anything personal, like what we cover, like this is all the things that are happening that we're paying attention to. And we're going to come back the next day and be there and just try and be professional with it. You know, Andrew, I think that's your experience. My experience, because I show up at meetings and tell people what I think they need to know before they make a decision is totally That might be different. Totally yeah. different, which is that they they are sometimes very grateful and will call me personally and be like, can you walk me through this thing? Or they will be upset that they didn't hear this from somebody else and that I, I get killed as the messenger very often. Um you know, I think there are people for whom they bounce back really easily. Um, and, you know, I told you last night, Mark Meadows is one of those people. He's a sort of consummate politician in the sense that he just stays in the game. You know, I talked to him last night after council. I texted him and said, um, do you have a minute? And I called him and he, he asked me, so what happened? And I, I told him because he wasn't watching. I think he can't stand to watch it. You know, we had a perfectly cordial conversation about what had happened, and I let him know that I was going to be looking for a comment from him. Um, but, you know, Mark and I have had many a battle. I mean, he has he has gotten angry at me in council. I've gotten angry at him in the meetings for withholding information. He's gotten upset with me for what he feels like is out of line. Didn't he do something um, once during council and then like look at you and wink or something? He really did. <laughs> there was one time a few years ago, he was mayor and years ago, there was something on the consent agenda, which normally is not discussed. And it was very suspicious looking to me. It was very, very suspicious looking to me. So I got up a public comment and I said, there's item blah, blah, blah on the consent agenda. And before you vote on it, I want an explanation of what it is. Thank you. And so I sat down. So my public comment is finished and I can't say anything further. Mark Meadows launches into a sentence that lasted about three and a half to four minutes, a single sentence that had subclauses and subclauses and subclauses that had references to obscure state law and zoning codes and everything else. And I couldn't follow it at all, of course. And at the end of it, he winked at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I... I probably uh, gave him a gesture, um, knowing me. Um, but it was a very, very funny move at some level. It was He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew the role I was stuck in, which was the role of, you know, supplicant in terms of trying to get information out of a government that often doesn't want to give us the information. He played it exactly, and he knew he was playing it, so he winked at me. Oh, man. It, see, at least, I guess I give Mark Meadows credit for being completely aware of all that stuff. You know, it's absolutely right. I mean, at some like, level, he he's not he's not pretending he's doing anything else. Yeah. Well, he really, like <laughs> everybody one. else, like everybody else in city council, he really cares about the city. I mean, everybody who's been on council, a lot of those people oh, can yeah. stand each other, but two hundred one, they really care about the city. Those people work hard. There, oh yeah. People don't understand. They get paid eight to ten thousand dollars a year for those jobs. They work 
30, some of them 40 hours a week on these on being on city council. They are getting paid pennies on the dollar and taking so much public grief. And I feel for them. They may not feel like I do, but I feel for them oh, yeah. because they are working so hard. And my job is to constantly point out where they're screwing up, where they're missing something, where they're making a decision that's favoring one group or another. That's our job as the press. And, you know, it's painful because they're working really always, hard. They're all working hard. My my general response that I don't give people but I want to when they get annoyed is usually like, sorry, we paid attention. Because um, <laughs> that's usually what it is. It's just like the paying attention in the first place is what like ticks people off. Um, but I think now there's also much more of an expectation in East Lansing. Like in 2016, it would be like, oh, no. Alice is at the meeting. We got to be on our best behavior. Whereas now there's sort of more of an expectation that Eli will be at things and covering things, um, which is just, I think, a matter of us being around for a while. Well, can I tell uh, one other really funny story about that? Go ahead. And you can always delete it if you like. There was a um, re new reporter that we picked up when he was in graduate school in the communications department, Dan Totsky. And oh, Dan... this is a good one. <laughs> Um, there was a BRA meeting or a DDA meeting that was going to be quite important. And uh, normally Chris Root and I would go and cover those at that particular period of time because Chris and I were covering that together. Neither of us could make it. We were both literally out of the town at that point for different reasons. And so Dan was going, um, but Dan was, of course, new to the scene. And so, he, you know, we were sending him into a complicated meeting green. And my son happened to be home, who's been a longtime Eli reporter. He's 20 years old now, and he's a very good note taker. So I asked my son to go very specifically and do backup note taking for um, Dan to both record the meeting, but also take active notes and then send me his notes so I could help Dan get through the reporting. And... Um, this was when Eric Altman was mayor pro tem and Eric Altman was at the meeting to function as the mayor that day. And um, before the meeting started, Eric uh, was talking to Dan because he had had Dan in a class of his in psychology while Dan was in graduate school. And so he was just talking to Dan, not realizing Dan what Dan was there for. And Eric Altman started talking about how he likes real news, not fake news. And it was very clear Eric Altman knew that my son was right next to him and that this was a message to my son, basically, because he knows who my son is. And uh, after all that, he asked Dan, so what are you here for? And Dan said, oh, I'm a reporter for Eli now. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what, what was so fascinating to me was that neither Dan nor my son told me the story for several months. They did their reporting, blah, blah, blah. And it was months later when Dan mentioned the story to me. And when he mentioned it to me, I think he wouldn't mind my saying that it was pretty clear that that Eric was probably trying to send an intimidating message to my son by standing there and saying the stuff he was saying about the media. And I, I, I called my son. I was like, Dan just told me the story. How come you never told me? And my son said to me, oh, no, it was clear to me he was trying to intimidate you. And the only way he could intimidate you is if I relayed that story to you. And he said, so I didn't tell you. <laughs> I love your kid is just. I, that's oh, what I thought. Stone, I thought, my God, I have stone the best cold. kid. <laughs> but, but also, I just thought the two of them just did their jobs, you know. And that's what I love about Eli reporters is that, yeah, a lot of us don't have a background in journalism. Andrew does. A lot of us don't. But my God, it's a professional group of people. You know, even my kid, who at the time would have been 17 or 18 years old, just knew professionally what he had to do. He had to go take his notes and not tell me about, you know, an intimidation attempt because that's what people do to the media. They do try to intimidate us sometimes. That's what happens occasionally. And, you know, we move on. See, we keep going. That's 
I just I use my my minute the minutia I learned in journalism school that they they don't teach you elsewhere. That's why I had to pay like two hundred fifty thousand dollars for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would but, say sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, it's just like I I guess I look at it from the the side of like. I kind of get the last word in a way. Not so much that it's like my word, but like people, if they want to play games with me, they can play games with me. And I'll just say they played games with me. Um, and I think that's part of what I like about Eli is we don't get into the like, well, they're the just like, no, this person was playing games. We're going to say they're playing games. Like we just don't, We there is no beating around the bush. There is no equivocating. Like we just tell tell you what's going on and what happened and like report it and be very straightforward with it. Um, and that's sort of a like difficult thing to find in a lot of places these days um and so i don't i i try not to get caught up in the palace intrigue you know whoever i'm like you want to try and intimidate me i will write that you are trying to intimidate me best of luck with that sir or madam um and i think that's also part of what i like about working with eli of like i'll get the email from alice is like these people are playing games i'm gonna say they're playing games and then it's just like yeah do it like they're playing games and i like the I guess like we we don't we have a very low tolerance for BS basically. Yeah, there's two things I want to chime in on as someone who really hasn't been on the BRA story is if people play games, we have our ways to work around it as the media and on a different story when the city wasn't forthcoming with responses to questions. Fine, I'll file a FOIA and I'll find out the answers that way. Thank you for me waking making me wait three weeks, but we'll get the answers. Exactly. But I, also, as someone who I've been doing more of kind of the behind the scenes work this week than pushing out stories like Alice and Andrew have, but the stories I've been editing for people, everyone is here because they care. And maybe they care for different reasons and maybe they care in different ways, but everyone who works at Eli cares about the local community. And I've been spending a lot of my time lately working on the Spend Locally series, which we launched last week. And we have reporters hitting up five, 10 small businesses, including Alice, Andrew, and I, just so we could pump out information. How do they want you to shop? What can you buy there? You know, we talk a lot on the podcast about kind of the high politics of the little town, but we do a lot of other things that maybe aren't the big lead stories, but are there to support the community. And I think Spend Locally is really one of those this time around. Yeah. And Sarah Spoon has really been bringing it. Yeah, she has been killing it because she is our arts and culture reporter. So she has relationships with a lot of these small businesses and cafe owners And she's really used those relationships now to just write us a ton of stories. I'm getting like two or three from her a day. And I think she's signed up for probably at least five, 10 more. She's really been killing it for us. And that's been important for her too, because for reporters who normally cover stuff that would happen if there weren't a pandemic, they lose all that reporting. And so they have to make up the money in some other way as freelance reporters. And so we're glad to be able to give Sarah this work Um, And the money people donate goes to give Sarah that work to keep her reporting life going, which is very important. She's an excellent reporter. Um, We've also had, I think, reports from Chris Wardell on Flat Black and Circular. Um, We've also had a report, I think, from Adan Kwan, too. Um, Did he bring us one of the Spend Locally? He didn't do a Spend Locally. I met with him this week, though, about an article that will be published tomorrow. 
about COVID, but Mm -hmm. uh, Ann Kammerer will be running one of her stories later. And then Ann Nichols too has done an Ann about town about seams and woven art. So if you go to our page and look at the spend locally bar um, item at the top navigation bar, you could find these stories. And you can you can do tons of shopping at these stores for people on your lists. And as I've been telling people, stop looking for the perfect gift this year. Get the gift that helps keep a local business open. Just go find a gift. You can find stuff. I was at Moose Jaw yesterday. I was at SBS yesterday. I'm going to Pattaya today to take some pictures for a story we're bringing up Pattaya. You know, there's um, Clever Clover has beautiful things. Sundance Jewelers, if you want to splurge, has beautiful things. There's so much you can get for people downtown. So much cool stuff. And it really will help the local businesses stay open. And then also gift cards to the restaurants is really important too right now. Alice, do you know where I could get my mom a Danish whisk for Christmas? Because that is what she's asked for. She does not need a Danish whisk. So that is my she, answer. She wants <laughs> one, though. No. She, she can she have wants- a Danish... Your mother... You can use this for the lead-in. Andrew, your mother can have a Danish whisk when the pandemic is over. I want you to go to Clever Clover and get her a terrarium. <laughs> I want you to go to Sundance and get her a beautiful, simple piece of jewelry. And let's see, where else do I want you to go? Go to SBS and get her... Uh, office supplies or art supplies. I love SBS for art supplies and office supplies personally. Like well, the SBS have- actually, if they can get me on the hookup for some, uh, I know they're Michigan State gear, but if they can hook me up with some Western Michigan gear, my brother started there virtually this fall and I want to get him a sweatshirt for Christmas. So. Or he could wear a Spartan thing. They have incredibly he, he, cute baby he onesies. He could, he could, but he probably won't. Because your brother doesn't need the perfect gift, Andrew. Your brother needs <laughs> gift East Lansing businesses alive. So... Go to Wild Birds Unlimited and get him a window bird feeder, which is wonderful for when you're stuck on your computer all day long. My son, who's been stuck doing a lot of his schooling from home, has a window bird feeder that we keep stocked, and it's keeping him alive. <laughs> I interviewed um, Sarah, who runs Wild Birds Unlimited, and I am so sold, and I'm getting myself one of those decorative bird feeders to put on our trees outside. It's wonderful stuff. And the birds have been wonderful this year downtown because the students are very quiet compared to most years. So we have wonderful wildlife this year. We had a pileated woodpecker in my yard for the first time in 22 years. Just don't ask Alice about the red squirrels. That's all I know. Um, I think we've, we've gone on for long enough. It's been about 40 minutes here. And I think we've, we've really covered what we wanted to cover and just sort of take some time. And we really wanted to just get into what, life is sort of like for us what we do what we're thinking where we're at um just because it's been it's been a crazy crazy couple days crazy nine months really um but i i think i can speak for both alice and emily when i say we both or we all three love to do this we we are grateful that we get the opportunity to do this and are looking forward to continuing to do it in 2021 and beyond as always. Um, on behalf of Alice and Emily, I'm Andrew Graham. This was episode seven of the East Lansing Insider. Uh, please rate, give us a review, um, share it with your friends, give it as a Christmas present, whatever you want. It's free. Um, thanks yeah. for listening. <laughs> <laughs>